You guys may be seated. I, I love to hear you sing, and there were some times in that last song where I could really just hear the congregation singing. I want to encourage you to do that. Music is the language of the soul, and when we gather for worship together, uh, we are not just merely observing, but we are participating. And so sing from the depths of your heart as we gather for worship each Sunday. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. We began a new series last week on the book of Ephesians where we're working through that book in a section-by-section basis trying to understand what God has said to us through, through that book. Uh, most of you uh, have been praying for, and I so much appreciate it, my sister Debbie. Debbie, for the past three years, has been in a battle for her life. She uh, has a fungal disease that uh, affects her uh, body in multiple ways, and she actually got it from a dust storm of all places where she took in the fungus and it then got in her bloodstream. And so she's literally been fighting for her life now for about three years, and I, I appreciate so much your prayers for her. The other day I was talking to her on the phone and she, she was talking with me about her life and her health and she said something to me that struck me. She said, your perspective really changes whenever you go to bed at night and you're not sure if you're going to wake up the next morning. It creates within you a drastic perspective shift. And last week as we looked at chapter 1 and verses 1 through 14 in Ephesians, we saw that our perspective changes whenever you see God from an eternal perspective. Uh, Ephesians 1, uh, 1 through 14 is one of the more famous passages of Scripture in the Bible. If you're a theological nerd, it is a metaphysical Trinitarian hymn of the early church. And for many, yeah, take that home and read it, yeah. Uh, But for many, uh, it has been a little bit confusing over the years, but it's really not that difficult. It's framed around this idea of what does it mean to be in Christ. And at the end of the section, it teaches us that whenever you hear the message of the gospel and you believe that God sees you or places you in Christ. You become a believer. And at that point, God does two audacious things. Number one, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and the Holy Spirit is your seal of authenticity. Secondly, God views you in Christ. Now, that is important because before the foundation of the world, God in His sovereignty determined that those who are in Christ will receive five great blessings from the Heavenly Father. Number one, God will see us as holy and blameless when we're in Christ. Number two, we are adopted into the family of God. We become uh, joint heirs of the kingdom with Christ, His brother. We become children of God. Number three, we have redemption and forgiveness in Christ. Number four, we receive understanding of the mysteries of God, and we're able to see things from a spiritual perspective. And number five, we receive the full inheritance of the heavenly kingdom. So when you understand what it means to be in Christ, it creates within you a perspective 
shift. So that each day becomes a gift, an opportunity, a compulsion to live for the praise of his glory. Now today, after the 11 o'clock hour, the life groups and worship there, we are going to be gathering as a church for what we call Gobblefest 2015. And a lot of parents will have a scene happen that I too have endured often. You will have a little one beside you, and you'll have a plate for yourself, and you'll have a plate for them. And you'll be looking at all this delicious food. And you'll be like, this is amazing. We are about to have a feast. And so you'll say to your little one, you want some turkey? And they'll say, yeah, I'll take some turkey. And so you'll put a little turkey on their plate and then you'll say, oh, look here, we've got some stuffing. Let me get you some stuffing. No, I I don't like stuffing. You don't like stuffing? No. Why don't you like stuffing? There's onions in it. Well, can't you just take the onions out? No. I, I, I don't like stuffing. Okay, so then you'll move on down the line. And you'll be like, well, here we go. I know you like this. We've got some green beans. No, uh, I don't like green beans. Yeah, you do. You eat them all the time at home. No, I don't like those green beans. Why not? They've got those little French onion crispy things on top of them. Kid, that's the greatest thing in life, you know? I mean, life doesn't get any better than those little crispy onion things that they put on green beans at Thanksgiving. No, I, I don't like them. And so, so you'll wind up at the end of the line, all this good stuff, all this good food, uh, and, and your child just has a little bit of turkey and a lemonade to eat. And they've missed out on all the good stuff. A, a lot of times, we miss out on all the good stuff that God is doing. And, and we look at the line of life, and a lot of times we don't see it, we don't take it in. And the reason why we miss out on it is because we are so consumed with looking at life from the earth up rather than heaven down. We've never developed the ability to see life from a spiritual perspective. And so we ultimately settle for a life of shredded turkey and a glass of lemonade because we've never made that shift in our perspective to think spiritually. So Paul, as he's writing in verse 15 to this church, he encourages them and he he prays for them that they will be able to see the world from a spiritual perspective. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1. This is why. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength? Now, I want us to work through this passage. And as we do, I want to identify some practical things that will help us to make this perspective shift so that we can see the world from 
a spiritual standpoint. Now, the first shift is the shift from risk aversion to faith. The other day, I was looking at an Instagram graphic, and in the picture, there was a spider, and there was the big spider web, and there were some insects that had been trapped on the web. And the caption on the picture read, when they created the World Wide Web, nobody told us that we are the flies. (laughs) You know, we live in a world where we have 24-7 news. When this big hurricane hit, it was last week, right? Hurricane Patricia, was that what it was? When, When the hurricane hit there in Mexico, instead of reading about the hurricane in the newspaper the next day, you have the capability of watching the hurricane. You get to see it two days before it comes ashore. You get to watch it come ashore. You get to see all of its destruction on your television, and you can sit there and you can watch that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are bombarded with the news of the world constantly on our cell phones, on our television, on our iPads, on our laptops. Everywhere we go, we hear the news of the world. And so all these different atrocities that are out there, we're aware of them, and they're constantly just coming into our screen of awareness. And so we're aware of a school shooting the, the moment it happens, and it causes us to be fearful for the safety of our own children. We, we know about terrorist attacks, and we know about civil unrest, and the result is, is that for many adults, uh, we're kind of like kids on a candy rush. We are overstimulated. We are constantly just taking in information at rapid speed. And if you really think about it, we're the first generation on earth that has lived life with the technology that we have that brings all this information to our awareness constantly throughout the day. And what I see as I observe culture and watch people live is that many of us have begun to develop this risk aversion. We're scared to death of what might happen. Now, it's sensible to have some security precautions in our life, but for many of us, we don't ever really jump into the pool of faith because we are so scared of what might happen. I remember in our, in our own life seeing this risk aversion take place whenever our oldest daughter, Karis, was about to be born. And so we had to make a major decision. I mean, this decision was going to affect the rest of her life. We had to make a decision on what car seat to buy. And so, so I mean, we probably took two, three trips to Babies R Us trying to decide what car seat to buy. And Stacy was going over all the different reviews on the internet and taking in all this information. And it was like, this is a major decision. This is our first big parenting decision together. And we, you know, we hold hands and we put it on the register and we're like, okay, we can do this. Let's buy this car seat. And hopefully this car seat will keep our little girl safe. Now we're expecting our fourth child. Whenever you get to the fourth child, you just kind of throw them in the back of the SUV and keep on going. You know, in all seriousness, You can't leave the hospital unless you have the car seat. It's that important. They even run tests on the car seat at the hospital before they let you go home these days. That's why we go to birthing centers now and don't go to the hospital. Anyway, but... The, the, that's really because I'm so earthy, you know. But uh, the, the antidote to risk aversion is faith. Instead of living in fear all the time, I trust God. 
I trust that he's in control. I trust that he loves me. I trust that he works all things according to his will and that he will take care of me. That doesn't mean that you don't have sensible security measures in your life. But at the same time, you're not caught in the grip of fear so that you never live life. In verse 15, Paul says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. You see, God has given me two great gifts to help me live with faith. Number one, he's given me his presence. He walks with me through life. Number two, he's given me the presence of other Christians who walk the journey with me. And in verse 16, he identifies another shift that we can have in our lives, and that is a shift from busyness to thankfulness. Look at verse 16 again with me. Paul says, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Now, here's a question for you. How many of you are very busy? How many of you are very busy? I, I find my life is pretty busy. And it is really easy to get so busy that we forget to give thanks for others and remember them in our prayers. We're coming into the Thanksgiving season. That'll be followed by the Christmas season. And for many of us, we approach those holidays with a sense of dread because of all that we have to do. And how ironic is it that we would approach the season of gratitude and the season of giving and the season of hope with dread because we're so busy. Do something for me. Just relax your posture. Let your shoulders relax for a second. Take in a deep breath. And now I want you to do something around the room. Just, just look around the room. Now don't be creepy about it. You know, just, just look around the room and, and take in the people that are sitting here with you. I want you to know something about the people in this room. They can be your closest friends in life. When we talk about a church, we don't want to be a place where once a week we just happen to come to the same room. We want to be a church family. I pray that you have 2 a.m. friends within your church family, people that you could call on at 2 in the morning and they would do whatever they can to be there for you. There are people in this room that I know walk with the Lord. They're loving, gracious, godly people, and they can be your best friends in life. You say, well, when I looked around the room, I, I realized something. I don't like these people very much. Okay, we have two other services for you and one in Spanish, all right? And maybe you'll like some of them, all right? But now there's another reality about the people in this room. A lot of people in this room are hurting. In the 10 minutes leading up to the previous service, I encountered someone whose son had had a heart attack two days ago and is fighting for his life. I encountered another person whose daughter uh, has cancer. I encountered another man whose wife is in the hospital. That happens every week. There's always heartache that many of us never see. There's people in this room that are hurting. And whenever we hurt in life, 
We need people like you to slow down long enough and care. Just slow down sometimes. You have permission to do that. Relax. Slow down enough where you can care about somebody else and pray for them. Slow down enough to give thanks for others and remember them in your prayers. And it is amazing how much your perspective will change as you begin to see the world through spiritual eyes. Whenever we pray for people, we often think that prayer is about convincing God to do what we want Him to do. But I find as you go deeper in prayer, you begin to realize that prayer is about spending time with God. And as you spend time with God, He begins to mold you and shape you and allows you to begin to see your circumstances and the world around you with godly wisdom and perspective. Well, as we go into verse 17, we see another shift that we have to take in order for us to see the world through spiritual eyes, and that is the shift from opinions to revelation. Paul writes, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, let me ask you another question. What is the biggest decision that you are facing in life right now? It may be college decisions. It may be a career decision, a financial decision, a marriage decision, a parenting decision. But what is the biggest decision that is on your horizon that you're having to face right now? Now, here's a follow-up question. What steps are you taking in order to make a godly, wise decision? I find that when most of us are faced with a big decision, we do not really know how to come to a wise conclusion. And so what we do is we just kind of do the best we can. I have a decision to make, and so I guess I might as well Google it. And so we Google it, and we begin seeking the opinion of others, and there's someone out there named SoccerMom2963 at AOL.com, and they're a five-star reviewer, and so you're like, well, i got to read what Soccer Mom has to say, and you take that to heart, and, you know, you kind of wrestle with, okay, that's what Soccer Mom had to say, but Packabush at Saxy.com, he has a different view, and so, you know, exactly what, which reviewer should I go with, and then you uh, talk to a couple of friends that you know, and you get their insight, and then you try to discover, you kind of do a logic inventory, what makes the most sense, and then after you've processed all this information, you go with your heart. And, and, you know, surely if you go with your heart, then you're going to make a good decision, and then you go on about your life. Well, perhaps we who believe in Christ should try a different approach. Perhaps whenever we are dealt with a, or dealing with a major decision, the first thing that we should do is go to God's holy word and ask the question, have the scriptures spoken on this subject? You would be amazed and how much the Bible speaks about. The Bible deals with marriage issues, parenting issues, finance issues, issues that relate to how you are uh, relating to your, your parents, to your brothers and sisters. The Bible speaks about so many things. And the first place we should go to whenever we're seeking wisdom is what has God said clearly in His Word on this matter. And then we can seek guidance from people that we know have godly wisdom and They themselves read the Scriptures and have revelation from the Holy Spirit. Have some people in your life. Do you have a circle of go-to people 
that whenever you're dealing with a big decision, you can go to them and you know that you're going to get godly perspective from them. Talk to them. Thirdly, turn your hearts to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Spend time in prayer, listening to God, seeing how He is working. There is the spiritual discipline of fasting, and sometimes it is productive to go without food for a season so that we might really tune our hearts to the voice of the Holy Spirit because the decision that I am making is a big decision, and I want to achieve godly wisdom and perspective within this decision. There's a fourth shift, and that is the shift from limited perception to eternal perception. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope. Now, let me hit the pause button right there in the verse. In the Bible, whenever you come across the word hope, in about nine out of ten cases, it's referring to heaven or the second coming. When the Scriptures speak of hope, it's generally taking us beyond what is the here and now and taking us towards the eternal. And so here the Bible says that your, your perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What God has ultimately called you to are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints. Whenever you understand that you have a hope that goes beyond the hundred-year window of your life here on earth. It radically frees you to live life here today. Well, now you'll notice in verse 18, he uses this word, the perception. He says, I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened. Well, that word perception is translated from a Greek word, ophthalmos. Now, you're actually familiar with that word, because if you've ever needed eyeglasses, you went to a ophthalmologist, and the ophthalmologist is a doctor of the eye. So whenever Paul says uh, the perception, he is talking about the eye or the viewpoint, and then that word that is translated mind. It comes from a Greek word, cardia. Now, I pray that you have never had heart problems, but if you have, then you have seen a cardiologist. A cardiologist is a doctor of the heart. In the New Testament era, they viewed the heart as the center of the person, much in the same way today that we view the brain. And so whenever a person was to make a big decision, instead of saying, I I pray that the perception of your brain may be enlightened, they would say, I pray that the perception of your heart, because it was within the heart that you would process the world around you and you would be able to see the world around you. And so Paul is praying, if you really dig down into the words, that the eyes of your heart will have light. And the imagery is that you will not be blind in your heart. Instead, you will be enlightened in the heart. So God is pray- or Paul is praying that God will open your heart so that you might be able to see the eternal hope 
of His calling. He's praying that God will open the eyes of your heart so that you might be able to grasp the extravagance of the inheritance that the Heavenly Father extends to you. He is praying that God will open the eyes of your heart so that you will quit trusting in your limited abilities and begin trusting in His immeasurable greatness. It is a perspective shift. And once you shift your perspective from the earthly to the heavenly, God enlightens the eye of your heart so that the eternal realities find light and the earthly realities grow dim. You see the world from a new perspective. So I was talking to my sister on the phone, and I was asking her how she was doing. And I really thought she was doing a lot better than she was. She told me that the medication that she's now on was causing her hair to begin to fall out. And she said that in the previous week that she was asleep about 19 hours a day because the medication is just so powerful. In the five hours that she was awake, she would watch TV, but she couldn't really even understand what was happening on the television because she just couldn't process what people were saying. And so my heart began to break. This is my sister. I love her. And then she did something that took me aback. She began talking about the gift of her sickness. And she talked about how that through her sickness, she has greater faith. She now has a faith in the immeasurable greatness of God. And she also talked about comfort. She asked me and she asked my family to pray specifically that her disease would go into remission. And I ask you to pray for the same thing. It'll go into remission. But she also says, I, I have a comfort in eternity. And the reality of the hope is close to me now. And then she began talking about the opportunity that God has given her that in her pain, she is able to connect to the pain of others in a new way. And then she began to talk about gratitude for each day as a gift from the Heavenly Father. And so I told her that I loved her, and we ended the conversation. And I began to think about this text from the Bible that I was preparing to preach. And the eyes of my heart were opened. And I began to understand a little bit more about what Paul was saying whenever he says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling? And what are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of 
His vast strength. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. My prayer for you today is that in whatever circumstances you find yourself, that God will give you the ability to see things with wisdom and spiritual perspective. I don't want you to go through your life and just settle. I don't want you to miss out on the good things that God has for you. And I pray that you will be able to live beyond the earthly realities and see things from the spiritual realm so that you might have wisdom and understanding and comfort in the fact that God is walking with you and has surrounded you with people that love you and care about you to walk with you as well. And so I pray that today God will create a shift within your heart, that the eye of your heart might be enlightened to his spiritual realities. I pray that you will take a deep breath and give thanks for those that are in your life and take time to remember others in your prayers. I pray that if you're here today and there's never been that moment where you believed, that today you will believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would invite you to come see me during this hymn, see me after the service, talk with your life group leader, talk with somebody. If today is the day where you need to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, don't leave this place without having made that decision. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the abundance of your love for us. May we find delight in it, purpose in it. Lord, help us to live our lives here on earth with the radical freedom of hope, knowing that hope for us goes beyond Washington, it goes beyond riches, it goes beyond temporary circumstances, but that hope for us connects us to the eternal riches of your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that we might see the world and see others through the spiritual lens. And may that change us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.